Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. And now, part two of our special two-part episode on 1944's House of Frankenstein. So, as still as Lampini, um, Niemann and Daniel are going to travel to the town of Frankenstein. Uh, uh, and Niemann wants to find uh, Frankenstein's notes. That's his goal, I think. Um, in, in, again, as a way to help further his own science. Uh, what happens is when they get there, there's a Romani camp there where uh, there's musicians and, and singing and stuff. And there's a dancing girl. Um, and so this is, this is where we meet Alonka, who's uh, played by Alina Verdugo. Uh, and she's our kind of second female lead of the, 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 the film, sort of the second half female lead of the film that everything happens around. Um, they write up and Daniel instantly, uh, it, I like that, like, you know, Daniel's such a simple guy. And from the first moment he sees her dancing, he's not, uh, all the other guys seeing her dancing are having kind of one type of reaction where she's got her bare legs and she's kicking him up and flinging her skirts around and stuff. There's obviously like one kind of appreciative <laughs> uh thing going on um that's not daniel's thing he just sees he sees this graceful beautiful you know figure and he he's instantly in love like it's not even like it's not it, you know what i'm saying like it's not lustful it, it's 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 adoring his his instant affection for her um and she's quite a good dancer too she is and it was um this was you know choreographed qu- quickly and if you pay attention to the musicians there they're actually playing the the music there that you hear in the film um it looked like it and, yeah. and it's 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 really well done i know elena vertigo she <laughs> she had told um in an interview that that she she had kind of rehearsed the dance and stuff like that but when she actually got to the the spot to film film locations, film the scene. It was it was like on an incline, and there's a bunch of these like rocks and stuff that are around that nobody it's dirty. cleared. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no, it's just it's just in a freaking field. I know. Yeah, right. It's like the worst place you could dance. Um, it was she was she a dancer herself? I don't know that much about her career. She, she obviously no, was because um, you don't just walk into that and do that. Yeah, right? I mean, I mean, she she could obviously she could do it. I, I don't think that's necessarily her her claim to fame. She she was just a young, uh-huh. attractive you know uh, actress that, that Universal had. I mean, she so I mean, giving an idea of the the difference in like you know salary. You know, Karloff got twenty thousand dollars for this picture. She got two hundred fifty dollars a week, <laughs> um, right? For, for, right? You know, right? She's she's on the low end of that. Two yeah. two and a half weeks worth um, of work, but she was she was eighteen years old. She turned nineteen, you know, during filming here, and wow, and she had uh, she had nothing but, uh, you know, for 
the way that she would talk about the film, she said at the time it was like, oh my god, really? You know, she she described it as like these are the type of films that an actor takes just so they can pay their lunch. You know, it, it wasn't it, right. it wasn't obviously interesting, obviously not an A picture, not not really revered, just another Frankenstein film, a horror film from Universal. But yeah, but you know, obviously she she loved her time. She loved uh, working with. Karloff and Cheney and, and especially J. Carol Nash. And, um, you know, she said it as, you know, obviously this is years and years later, but you know, the fact that she would, was in her seventies and eighties and getting fan mail <laughs> from this, this movie she did so long ago was, was something that really stuck that, with her and touched her. That seems to be something that confused almost a lot of actors who I, th- yes, at the time this was not, um, when you're casting something like this, it was, it was, it was a job for a lot of them, and not something. It was, it wasn't what they got into their careers to do. Right, was to run away from the Frankenstein monster, and that, right. and you get it, okay? Like you, you're there to play a character and stuff. And this, this is a different type of thing that you're doing here. And yet, again, like yeah, it's like people like David Manners or people like that who, who later in their career, like it ended up being the thing they're best known for because these films outlasted. They had a you know a, lo- a bigger footprint, a longer footprint than, um, than all the, oh. the 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 so-called you know prestige pictures too. Or many of the prestige pictures, yeah. I mean, I still think we're struggling with some of that. Uh, horror is yeah. uh, more bankable, as we've discovered, um, right over the past few decades. And horror is, I think, even this year we've seen a resurgence. Yeah, but I think that in general, for a lot of people, a lot of actors and actresses there were oh well I'll take this as the gig yeah. and then you hear time and time again that the most loyal fans tend to be uh horror fans right and mm-hmm. you know you'll see it at conventions that ever like wow you know i can go to these conventions and i show up and all these people love and it's it's kind of endearing that that is still happening but also the the oh horror as a I guess it's just a job. It right. It hasn't changed as much as we would hope. I think if you're yeah, if you're yeah. a fan of genre movies anyway, yeah. And and more, I think more people get it, but it is still a, you know, oh, I don't know. I'll only take certain kinds of horror roles or whatever. Yeah. And that I wish, you know, as a genre fan, I wish that was less prevalent. Um, well, I think I think some roles can be as less as as we might no. would hope. I think, considering, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I think I think yeah. I mean, some roles can be probably not very gratifying, and, and sure. I I think I think the Alonka role in this is a really good role, and I think it's really important. And not not only did this young actress get to work with storied actors yeah. like like Karloff and 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 like J. Carol Nash, um, you know, and and Cheney, um. But her character really is important to the story and and, and critical and 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 mm-hmm. isn't just there to be a pretty face. So I I do think it's I mean I I you know it is it's a great role. Of course, she's a Latina actress being cast as a Romani character just because of some you know right. inherent whatever overall whatever. Yeah, you'll bias, fit the whatever. you fit the but, look. You know, hey, the the yeah. look it was more yeah. important than authenticity. You know, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, but I think she brings like she brings a lightness to to the second half of the film, which is which is really nice. Um, and I, I we'll talk about that more. Um, so uh, so again, Karloff is doing this this 
this you know showman thing still like that this is his cover uh they get to the town um uh the police uh, the frankenstein the frankenstein police right they're literally the police of the <laughs> town of Frankenstein. Police. They're the Frankenstein police. The Frankenstein police show up um, and they're telling the Romani folks like, no, we've had all these rashes of, of, of robberies. You need to get out of here um, uh, and shut it down. Uh, and the, the head Romani guy like says no, but but again, whatever. Um, he immediately goes to Alonka and Alonka has gotten a bunch of coins and tips and stuff for her, her dance. And he wants all of it. And she said, no, no, the deal was I'm going to travel with you and you get half. And he's like, give me all of it. And she's like, I'm going to tell the cops that it's you're the one who's stealing. And his response to that is to, is to throw her down and take out a whip and start beating her with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel sees this and, and I, I do, I love this moment of Daniel's where, where, you know, D- Daniel does bad things because he's in a circumstance where that's just what he's kind of forced to do. I think inherently Daniel is kind of a good care, a good person who, you know, whatever, but he see, he sees her being beaten and he runs up, shoves the guy down, grabs his whip, and starts beating the dude with his own whip, which I just find. It's a moment where I just, I just want to smile. Like, I don't know why. What were you saying? Yeah. He goes, he goes to choke him out and then beats mm-hmm. him with a whip and, mm-hmm. you know, Again, exactly. yeah. it's you know probably would have killed him had he been had somebody not stopped. Oh, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they pull him off. Um, uh, uh, she so but uh, so 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 Lampini, you know, Nimon, aka Lampini, has been has is is also told like he can't stay here either. He's got to be rolling on the 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 Frankenstein police aren't having any of this kind of stuff. Um, and and they say like we've had enough horrors here. Um, and and we have this great uh matte painting in the background it, it just as he's telling them that he cuts to this wide shot and up up above we see the remains of frankenstein castle which this would be livia this, this would be wolf on frankenstein's no, era uh, castle Ludwig. L- Ludwig. ah i can't talk tonight oh, this is Ludwig? yes because so in uh frankenstein meets a wolf man that that's who larry talbot goes to see is dr ludwig ludwig von frankenstein man i cannot talk tonight um and uh and that's his ruins after the fire and ghost of Frankenstein, where in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, you know, the dam blows up and washes away the entire castle. And then in this movie, you see okay. that not quite all of the castle has been, <laughs> has been wiped out. And right, so, right. yeah, it's, it's Sir Cedric Hardwick's Right. Castle. Okay. So we're seeing the remains of Frankenstein versus Wolfman castle. Yes. Even though we're in Frankenstein, we're in the town of Frankenstein, yeah, which is they, the town's name, and it's—I thought they go to Viseria and it goes to Frankenstein. They, they do, so it kind of it switches here for for whatever reason. Um, in in yeah. Ghost of Frankenstein and in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, it's called Viseria. In House of Frankenstein, but, it's called Frankenstein, and then Viseria is the town that Nemon comes from. <laughs> right, but I mean, okay, so here's my and I I. I I read that in the trivia section, but and and I just want to, and I do think most people see that as kind of an inconsistency. My question is like, like, you know, like like I've I've gotten to visit like South France once or twice, and the towns are really not that far away from each other. It's like it's like you can go to Bagnon and you can go to Goudard, and and it, it, if you walk, it's like about. 20 minutes walk from these two towns because it's like every little valley has its own little town because there didn't used to be cars it was harder to travel and stuff so i wonder if when they when when igor and in ghost frankenstein when igor and and the monster walk from 
Frankenstein to Viseria, like, does it, does it seem like that far? Maybe they're just walking to the next valley. Maybe I'm just saying maybe the two things are pretty close together. I don't know. Maybe this is just a result <laughs> of like redistricting, you know, they're like politicians went together right. and be like, you know what? That's we'll right. take Viseria. That's you right. take Frankenstein. <laughs> they just, they just gerrymandered the yeah. heck out of this area. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so two, so two things happen. Um, Again, uh, Niman and, and Daniel are kicked out, so they, they only have, like, one night to go up to the ruins, apparently, and to search the ruins of, of we'll just call it Castle Frankenstein, um, for Frankenstein's notes. Um, Alonka, who's hurt, Daniel kind of picks her up and, and says, I, let's take her with us. And, you know, because she's obviously doesn't want to stay with this guy who was whipping her. Um, and Dan, and and. After a little bit of whatever, Nemon's like, "Fine, okay. If it's just going to make you shut up, then then bring bring the <laughs> bring the Romani girl, I guess." So now now they're a trio. Um, uh, and and now they're headed up to uh to Castle Frankenstein. The Castle Frankenstein set is a hell of a set. It is. So they, so before you before there's we these get long shots that are just huge. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So before we get to uh, them exploring the ruins, I have to call out the again. I'm going to do this three or four more times throughout the show, but I have to call out the music here when when Daniel brings mm-hmm. Alanka the the cup of presuming the coffee or whatever, and um, oh, and right. kind of you know in a way just is so kind to her and nurses her back to health, um, and yes. you know you. The way that the camera is angled when you see it from Alanka's point of view, you cannot tell that Daniel's a hunchback. She just thinks he's this nice guy that, that, you know, saved me. And so she's being real flirty with him and, and, uh, you know, things like that. And of course he comes up and then you, you get the, the kind of moment of shock and a little bit of, of disgust on Alanka's face when you, she sees that Daniel has this, you know, huge hump on his back. And, yeah. um, and then of course everything changes, but she's still, I mean, to her credit, she still says, you know, a, a, of course I'll still talk to you. You know, I, you were kind to me and yeah. I like you, but the music uh, that plays throughout that, it, it's a, it's a long cue. It's about three and a half minutes long. It's called Dan's love. And it is such a beautiful piece of music. Mm. I mean, I, I would encourage if, if you like that type of music um, or even just like the movie, you know, go out in iTunes and, and find the, recording of this score and, and and look for that track it's just such such a peaceful such a beautiful music that they they put together for that and it it really it really speaks to the emotion that J Carol Nash and Elena Vertigo mm. you know put forth in the scene you know and cuz you see you talk about the the impact that it, sometimes I feel like J. Carol Nash could get lost, you know, in the in the stars here because he's he's next to Karloff and Carradine and and Cheney. Yeah, um, yeah. But man, he does such a great job in this in this role, and the expression on his face when he he's so happy and excited to like get up and sit next to Alanka, and he's got this you know mm-hmm. just this beaming smile on his face, and then when she has the reaction she does after she sees him, and you know it it kind of brings him back down. It's so heartbreaking. He he. You know, acting wise, he Jack Carroll Nash is so good in this in this role. So I have to Nash does great work in the in this. Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, I mean, he his mainly he's he's interacting with Karloff, and you know that's yeah, you know he's you know tall order. <laughs> Karloff has a certain status in 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 these films, and he's you know he's 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 not playing the Igor, right? I mean, he's basically his Igor, but he's not playing it as Igor. It's interesting. There's a there's a tug of war about with dominance between these two characters that gets 
more and more intense as the film goes on. And it's really like, no, he's, he's really wonderful in this film. Um, just another note, I think I've mentioned this before. I got married in Palm Springs uh, 11 years ago, just the other week. And uh, we were actually, the place we were married at was called the Caracchia Pensione. And it was originally uh, owned by J. Carl Nash. I mean, it was someplace first and then J. Carl Nash bought it and built it and stuff. And it was his residence in Palm Springs for many, many years. Well, that's really cool. Um, so I, I've, I have a neat kind of history with him. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, uh, yeah. So they were the So uh uh, Neiman has discovered a way into the ruins. Uh, he leads Daniel in, and they go through this whole exploration thing, um, where they're crawling in and stuff. So, so what, Karloff is what fifty-five or six or seven at this point. Uh, he's so he, he and Lugosi were similar in age. He's probably early sixties here, either real late fifties yeah, or early sixties, because Lugosi was born in 1882. I think Karloff was eighty eighteen eighty five, so somewhere in there. Yeah. So he's He's probably fifty eight here, fifty nine. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky set, is my point. There's a it's not. I mean, I'm sure it's, it was built to be pretty secure with the footing and stuff like that. But Carl does a lot of physical stuff in this. And again, this is this is this almost the same year or a year before he he does Isle of the Dead, and he has another back surgery and stuff. He's probably he's probably on back surgery number six or seven at this point from all the damage that he incurred shooting Frankenstein while carrying. Yeah. Uh, Colin Clive and stuff. So, you know, I'm just saying. Um, and here we do have this second moment where where the floor gives way. The, you know, they're, they're kind of not making much headway and the floor gives way and Daniel falls through it. And and let's talk, like, there's a little bit of a stunt moment with, I think I think it's J. Carroll Nash. It might, they might have replaced him with a stuntman just for that one shot. Um, uh, it's hard to tell. But, but, you know, so he goes through the floor and now this whole... Um, a cavern under the house has been opened up that they they plan to they start exploring and this is what's going to lead them to this oh and by the way the tumbleweed falls behind them which i just think is the greatest (laughs) (laughs) it's a full-on tumbleweed it's just (laughs) i think it's It's real i think someone just brought a a tumbleweed on set yeah again continuing the western theme right tony (laughs) yeah exactly um, so they, they're what they go through the tunnel. And again, they're in these natural caverns that exist underneath the castle. And they find this amazing ice cave, which is just stunningly beautiful. It's beautiful. Like, yeah. again, we talk about like, you know, they had some budget for this thing and the, this set is just a wild and beautiful. And there's a glass painting kind of thing on top with all these icicles and stuff. It just looks, it looks incredible. Um, and here is where they're going to find the, the frozen bodies of, the Wolfman and the Frankenstein monster, which they did not expect to find. They, I think they just assumed that the Wolfman and the monster were washed away or killed or whatever when, when the place was dynamited and, and uh, uh, flooded by, by the, when they dynamited the dam above rather and, and the, the flood uh, destroyed the, the castle and stuff. So, um, uh, the, you know, so, so their first, thing when they find you know the Frankenstein monster and the wolfman it's like well let's start a fire and thaw them out <laughs> tony what are your thoughts on that <laughs> i mean you know i guess there's maybe there would be enough <laughs> wreckage i don't know i think they do have some I think oh you're thinking about like the practicalities of actually starting them. a fire I'm, I'm talking about the wisdom of it but okay go ahead oh yeah yeah <laughs> um what wisdom <laughs> yeah it doesn't doesn't seem like the best idea in an ice cave for sure. But, yes. you know, maybe there, I don't know, maybe he knows, he's a mad scientist, maybe he knows more than us. I mean, he, he did just, <laughs> he just kind of like, you know, 
really handle Dracula real well and get him to do his bidding and all that. So he probably thinks it's that true. he's got, he's like, all right, I can handle Dracula. I could probably handle these two. It's fine. <laughs> Nimon Nimon yeah. is convinced that he's brilliant. That's true, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, to the point of 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 folly and arrogance. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, and I think that you know, I've seen a lot of arguments where people go, "A scientist wouldn't do this," or "This is unbelievable because a scientist fell for this or that." But you look at think people all the time who go into places, dive into caves. There's all right. kinds of I am doing this and because of. Uh, discovery or perhaps hubris um, yeah. and so i'm i'm not as quick to always go oh no there's no way they would touch that or look into that or jump into that mm. uh, yeah. especially when it becomes your focal point right. um i mean we're you know we're also building robots that potentially will eventually chase us down in the streets. So <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It seems like a good idea didn't... at the time. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't build this. Well, I mean, how could we, they possibly do that? We programmed them like, well, you're also putting AI in it. So I don't know, but yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that, that the thrill of discovery um, and also moving the plot along, uh, yes, helps us yes. get to where we're like, hey, let's yeah, we, let's thaw these monsters out and see what we can do with them. <laughs> so um, we don't have much a of scientist a scientist yeah. who's encountered now the supernatural. He, it is like, huh? Well, I didn't anticipate this, but let's also see what we can do with this, and it also plays into kind of what the themes of the previous movie were as well. Right, right. I mean, I don't. First of all, I don't think Doctor Nimon is 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 held up as a paragon of scientific integrity i mean you know he's, he's not he's not a role model obviously for young scientists getting in the business um i mean but, not but, not ones who yeah i mean some scientists probably yeah. yes a very select group yeah. all the ones who will also become future bad yeah <laughs> yes yes but but he even says i mean it does it does follow a plot thing he's like let's let's bring let's let's thaw them out and maybe they will tell us where the, the things are because they they've done like a cursory search already for Frankenstein's records and they, they they found like nothing they found like an old newspaper or you know whatever his his laundry list or whatever um uh so so they do it so they 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 light the fires they thaw them out and we have this kind of like quick dissolve and um the first one who wakes up we we suddenly see Lon Chaney Jr. wake up and and again and, and return as Larry Lawrence Talbot um uh. This is, I looked it up, and I'm pretty sure Livio backed me up on this. This is the first time Cheney Jr. and Karloff worked together on a film, right? Uh, yeah, it is, because um, yeah. by the time, time. By the time uh, Cheney Jr. really made his mark at Universal, uh, Karloff was already away doing Arsenic and Old yes. Lace. And so, yeah, this is the first. There's a few. Um, I mean, you can find them online or, or in some of the books that, mm-hmm. that are on this movie, but there's a few behind-the-scenes uh, you know, shots of those two sitting together. Um, that obviously was Universal did just for the publicity of it. But um, yeah, and you know, it's in. I know Boris Karloff had told this story before that that when Karloff was a struggling actor in the 1920s, um, Lon Chaney Senior would oftentimes, as he was driving home from from the studio, would would pick up you know young actors that were walking because they couldn't afford a, a cab ride or, or oh. car or something. And he actually uh, one of these times picked up a young Boris Karloff, and Karloff 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 asked him, 
you know, said, you know, what, what, what tips can you give me? You know, can you give me some advice on how I can be successful? How can, how can I make this work? And, and Cheney senior said to him, just find something that you can do that only you can do and do it better than anybody else mm. could ever do it. And then you'll, have, you'll have made his mark, your mark. And that, I know that's always, which is always stuck with, uh, with Karloff. So I'm not, which is what he did. It, yeah. I mean. it's, it is exactly what he did. And I, honestly, I'm not sure that, that, Cheney Jr. and Karloff were ever anything more than just coworkers. I, I, I you know, there's two totally different generations, and yeah, oh yeah, you know, it's. I think the best way to de- personality types and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the, yeah, the for, by by far the best way to describe it was you know Cheney was the alcoholic and Karloff was a workaholic. You know, the, the, those two outside of acting together probably didn't didn't see eye to eye and a whole lot of stuff. But interesting, but they they yeah. certainly respected one another and and both had you know, positive things to say about one another in you know, years s- since working together. But mm-hmm. for that long answer to your question, yes, this is the first time that they worked together. <laughs> and Karloff, who's much older, outlives Cheney too, doesn't he? Uh, doesn't no. He? Uh, well, I mean, they died within 50s? four years of each other. So Karloff passed away in other, so 1969 and Cheney Jr. passed okay. away in 1973. 73, right. Okay. So a couple. Okay. Okay. Um, the one thing I, I noticed, obviously, is, is Karloff... And Cheney, when they stand next to each other, you see Cheney is is full on a few inches taller than Karloff, um, who obviously was famous for playing the Frankenstein monster. So um, you really see the 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 way they they made Karloff feel so much bigger than he physically was when he played the monster. Um, uh, when you when you realize that the guy who plays the Wolfman is actually taller than the guy who played the Frankenstein monster. Yeah. Um. Uh, um so they return to the cart, uh, and 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 they they're thawing out the the monster himself. Cheney or Cheney, uh, Talbot shows Talbot does know where Frankenstein's notes are. He leads them again through a labyrinth of a set that's just incredible. This ruined Frankenstein, uh, uh, Frankenstein's uh, uh, laboratory set. Um, pulls back this huge stone, um, and find finds the notes. So so Nemon has now accomplished the first half of his you know, goal in, in getting Frankenstein's notes to help him further his own science. He's also in, in, you know, without planning to, he's got the Frankenstein monster, which he plans to use as sort of a, I guess, a a way to help, help him understand better how Frankenstein did what Frankenstein did. So this is, so it's working out really well for Nemon so far. Like, you know, he's had to jump through some hoops and deal with Dracula and whatnot, but you know, okay, it's, it's doing good. Um, uh, they go back to the cart. Um, they're going to have to. So, so the, there's tissue damage on the monster from being frozen in the ice, um, and they're going to have to put like warm compresses on him and really work on him as they they're going to go on to Viseria now to Nimon's old laboratory, um, and that's going to take a lot of attention. So the plan has changed now. Um, Talbot is going to drive the cart on the way to Viseria. And, um, cause Nimon has promised to help Talbot with his issue to, with, you know, with, with being a werewolf in exchange for helping him with his experiments. Um, so Talbot's going to go along with him. He's going to drive the cart. Daniel is now going to be in the back with Nimon helping him, uh, work on the, the, yeah. the monster, which sets up this, this love triangle thing in the film, which I don't know if anybody like, 
anybody saying like, I'm going to do a movie called House of Frankenstein, it's going to have this love triangle and it between a wolfman and a, a hunchback, hunchback and a gypsy girl. And a Romani <laughs> girl would be like, wait, I mean, what? But it works. But it original. works great. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, frankly, it's ludicrous on the straight on the face of it. It's ludicrous, but it absolutely works in the story, and it, and it's, it's done it works because some... good writing, good acting, good everything. Yeah, it's done with a fair amount of poignancy as well. Like, you yeah, really no, totally understand where all the characters are and how they led to this, and that yes, how how crushing it is for Daniel and why yeah. that, but also realistically why that has happened. By the way, I want to step back one second because I just had the revelation. You talk about, hey, it's working out for Neomon very well. In reality, up until this point, with all the adventure and finding things and everything, Neomon's basically had an Indiana Jones adventure of mad scientists. Like, <laughs> yes, he's had yeah, a exactly. mad scientist Indiana Jones adventure up until this point. Like, there's been action, there's been vampires, he's discovered lost treasure. Like, right, right. To to, the, to him the, the, as like, a scientist, he's having that adventure only in Mad Scientist Land instead of Archaeology Land. Yeah, he he was he was after <laughs> one MacGuffin and he found fa- he found three MacGuffins actually. Yeah, which exactly. Just... <laughs> I don't um, think I've in reality I don't know if I've ever seen a Mad Scientist adventure played out mm-hmm. this way, and yeah. it just took you it, it took quest. you kind of saying that where I was like, holy crap, this is. For a yeah. mad scientist, he's having his own. He is, you know, man. He's he's living his best mad scientist right life, isn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he's going to go to Viseria where he actually finds, you know, he has all of his equipment. It's nice equipment. So. Yeah, and it hasn't been totally ruined in the 15 years he was in prison and stuff, which is just, you know, I mean, yeah. Um, he's Solid. He's, again. Um, the, so, the, yeah, we have this great scene where they're they're on the road. Um, uh Alonka wakes up and she starts messing with with Lawrence, thinking he's Daniel. And she gets up and she realizes it's, it's Lawrence. And she gets up and starts trying to talk to him. And she just has this natural, very forward, flirty, you know, openness about her. And then I think it's this this idea of this young woman who knows she's attractive and likes to use it, but she's also very charmed by you know whatever. She's curious. Um, I just love. There's this moment. It, it's such a it's such a nice little scene. And Lawrence is so beat down and you know weighed down by the weight of his existence and that he's back to life now and and what he knows that means and stuff and she has this great moment where he she asks him his name and he says that he's lawrence and she says do you call did they call you larry and he says they used to yeah and it's it's so fraught with everything but and then you step back and you realize Mm -hmm. everyone who used to call him larry is dead he's outlived everyone he cared about yeah yeah. Well, that all through gone. line of it's of so good. To, yeah, that that through line of I I cannot exist in this world, and yeah. you know that that mystery is also part of what makes him so much more appealing mm. because he rebuffs her. He's like, I have no time for love or anything. I just right. like he's really gruff, but it's because of this lived history that he has and his yeah. nihilism yeah. of. I can't even allow myself, even if I wanted to, I can't allow myself to fall for someone yet again. Yes. Like, I yes. just need this to end. Right. And that's also, there's a certain, you know, air of mystery that also, that makes it even more. The fact that like, who is this guy to rebuff me? But I, I find that interesting. Like what, what's going on behind those eyes kind of thing. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes him 
makes her kind of pursue him even more. Yes. Their their relationship is so interesting in this, and it's kind of singular in the Wolfman canal can canon uh, mm-hmm. uh what happens in, in this movie with 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 Larry and and Alonka. Um uh so this is 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 he under is he back under contract at this point? Uh yeah, he he's so Libio, Cheney, yeah, Cheney with, with Universal was uh, under contract all the way up until 1945 uh up until House of Right, Dracula. okay. I think it's some That's sometime right. right around then is when is when they Kind of started switching to Universal International, and then they they axed, International. That's right. They axed he, all their and contract and they, players. they have to bring them back just for just for for Evan uh, Costello. Evan Costello, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, but but I and I noted at the beginning of the thing he's he's building this film as Lon Chaney, not Lon Chaney Junior. But I think he goes back. He goes back and forth after this, sometimes built as, as junior and sometimes not. Is that correct? Well, so and I don't know if that was in, in, something he renegotiated in his contract or oh, what. Oh no, he he. If he had it his way, he would have never been called this. <laughs> and of that's course, actually, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's one did thing he, that, did he negotiate not to drop the junior? Yeah, yeah. that's one thing that Melina um, Vertigo even said that you know that um, you know so from her memories of working with him uh, that they would sit and chat a lot is that he he. And he's he's just said this in interviews too that he was very proud of the name Lon Chaney, but he hated the name Lon Chaney Jr. And so in wow. in Man Made Monster in 1941, he's billed as Lon Chaney Jr. From that moment yes. on at Universal, he's never billed again as Lon Chaney Jr. Even though the Wolfman is just Lon Chaney. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. I, did I miss that? Oh wow! And I we, like as far as on screen credit. Yes, and and then yeah, as. Okay. I think he got more into like the mid fifties or so, depending on the movie and kind of where he landed. Sometimes he would be billed as Lon Chaney Jr. Sometimes he was just Lon Chaney. Hmm. It, it, it kind of fluctuated as you know later on in his career. But as far as it seems like, sometimes in print the junior popped up though. It's odd. Uh, I'm not. I'd have to. I'd have to back that up. I'd have to do some research and back. Yeah, that I, up I, I don't and, think he was ever. As yeah. like I said, outside of Man Made Monster, which was his first one, Universal was real quick to to just you know, even even ten years, eleven years after Lon Chaney Senior's death, yeah. they're still trying to to you know quote unquote claim or crown the new Lon Chaney. They did it to Lugosi. They did it to Karloff. Yeah, and now they yeah. did it to yeah. his own son. You know. But once once Wolfman comes out comes out, Cheney Jr. quote, he is established as his own thing, and I don't know if it even like benefits them to be like, oh, well, you know who Sonny is. Like they're like, well, we don't care. He's well, the, they he's he's long, he's 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 the Wolfman now. Like he's he's got his own class. Yes, yeah, and, yes, and no. I, I mean, I, I there's so if you look, at, if I can I can find this picture. I've got it somewhere, and, and I'll post it on our our show account. When Cheney did the Ghost of Frankenstein in 1942, they uh, obviously they they I'm taking a step back here, but in for the 1925 Phantom of the Opera with starring his dad Lon Chaney Sr., they built the huge you know f- indoor you know phantom stage that was mm-hmm. used all the way up until like two one 2014 2016. Anyways, um, they had Cheney dressed up as Cheney Jr. dressed up as Frankenstein's monster, kind of do some publicity shots inside this the phantom stage. And what they did is oh, they wow. superimposed kind of like a ghost image of Cheney senior as the phantom, like, like in the background. And, um, Cheney jr. Had wrote about this and said, you know, back 
and mentioned this, you know, they had me take shots, you know, on, on the Phantom stage, and then they put a picture of of Dad in the background, and it just, it, you know, how much it bothered him that, you know, like even that he's he's is this bigger star, and you know, he he was doing all these things, he always felt like he yeah. could just never escape the the shadow, yeah, of, yeah. Of his father. <laughs> Yeah, his father. Yeah, his father. I mean, I mean, because his father was there at the advent, kind of, and that's the thing is like, you know, he's he's changed changed living through this kind of golden age of cinema, but his father was there at the at the beginning and helped sort of create what cinema was going to be, like narrative storytelling on 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 film and stuff. So yeah, it's tough. Um, all right, back to uh, <laughs> uh, the so so now we're now we're we're getting to Viseria, um. Again, D- Daniel's stuck in the back of the thing, and Alonka's spending all this time up front with with Larry, and she's starting to become kind of infatuated with him, and she's in her playful kind of kind of flirty way. Um, and Daniel's noticing it, and Daniel's not happy about it, and he's growing more frustrated with with Nimon, who is kind of the architect of this problem for him because Nimon's insisting that he, he rides in the back of the thing, um, giving Alonka all this time. And you know, again, Larry for his part is is not at all he starts off not at all interested in Alonka. he's not he's not here for the romance but what's interesting is her her sort of vivaciousness is is infectious to the point where it, do, it does sort of make him break a little bit and she she asks, she kind of begs him to smile and he finally does and we get this just a hint of the larry talbot that we met yeah. at the very beginning of 41 wolfman which is which is a nice thing to see because it it can get pretty not i don't want to say monotone cuz i think Cheney does it so well but but the the pathos that follows larry talbot throughout all these these films after the first one where he just wants to die and he just he's cursed with the wolfman and you know it it's nice that it gives this movie gives him just a little bit of a note that he can play against that and 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 be the kind of more jovial thing that that I think I think Lon Chaney was was too. You know, he was kind of a fun guy in his own way himself. Yeah, and, with darkness, but still. Yeah. And and this one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, even in the whole Wolfman saga, is when uh, Alonkis you know sits down and goes, "What's the matter with you?" She goes, "You know, we've been together three days and you haven't smiled once." And he and Talbot kind of like gives her a glare and gives her a look, and she goes, "Don't start barking at me." <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't start barking at me. Is that funny? And uh, but yeah, no, I think you're right. The the smile that he flashes is so it's like this capsule in time of uh, of a happier Larry Talbot that you saw, and yeah. as opposed to mm-hmm. just the the sullen guy that you see throughout the 99 yeah. percent the rest of this movie. Right, right, right. And and so much time has passed narratively between Lenwilly Village and now. In, 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 in this area and yet it's only been three years since he played the Wolfman for the first time you know you know Cheney himself so you know um, I just think I think yeah exactly I, I do I do think their relationship sort of the highlight almost of this this second half of the film um, they get to this area uh, Nimon does discover that his old laboratory is is more or less intact and he's kind of he's kind of amazed at that which is nice because because it is very intact. Like all the machines work and everything. It's been 15 years and all this stuff is still kind of cranking and and whatever. So at least he kind of says like that's this is wonderful how it works. They they kind of throw that to the audience a little bit. Like okay, <laughs> we get it. It's okay. Um, and by the way, even in, can, go ahead. 
Sorry to interrupt, but before we no, go man. too far, one thing that also I think is really great about this love triangle is there's a point where you know Daniel's stuck in the back. He's frustrated that he can't. He's met the woman of his dreams. Uh, she's enamored with uh, Talbot, and he's like, ah. Oh. So part of it is he's just there because Neumann can't stand Talbot. He's just sick of him. Yes, but also, but he tells, but he tells Daniel. No, I need you here. I need you to be present. I need you to help me. Which is, at the beginning of the movie, that would have just been the best thing Daniel could have possibly heard. Right? It's true. His mentor. It's true. His person he's been in prison with. This this person, uh, for all of his, his villainous qualities, is the most important person in Daniel's life. It's true. And that pales in comparison with his love uh, infatuation you know with yeah. with uh Alanka. and that's that turn is also poignant and important and i thought that that was kind of fascinating that he hears these words and they're spoken gruffly and just like ah oh, i need you here but there was a yeah. point in his life uh you know just earlier in the film <laughs> at the break in you know the the time in prison, that would have been just the best thing he could have heard at the time. And how that's changed through yeah, him, yeah. through his adventures, and how it's changed yeah. him. And that's actually how their, really, their relationship that's something, evolves. Yeah. That's, that's, there's a lot there that, you know, I don't know if it's super subtle, yeah, yeah, but, sure. but I, found, I just really thought no, that, no, that yeah. was a key moment and a, a key turn yeah. in that character. We don't, we don't hear why daniel's in prison do we neiman's in prison for his experiments we never hear what daniel got thrown in prison for we don't know if it was he there for 15 years was he there like for just a weekend and he escaped <laughs> i don't know what um but you obviously get the feeling that daniel has not been treated well his entire life because i mean we could we this, can this surmise yeah we has. can surmise that being a hunchback didn't help whatever led him to his whatever imprisoned right, him right. was was yeah uh part that probably led into it and being treated unfairly uh which i think is probably why he still has so much of his humanity intact yes yes. yeah neiman is like kind of a sociopath oh exactly he's a you know he's super villain daniel again like i said like daniel has a good heart he's just he's compromised and he's compromised by i think by his his ailment and the the way his ailment has affected his life and now he's like running this and stuff but but he there is part of him where that does not if if Nimon tells him to kill somebody, he will kill them. Like he's he, you know, and he he goes on and on in the end of the movie where he's like, "I've killed four men for you." Like you know. Oh, he's you know, he's violent. Um, like his violence and propensity yeah. to violence has has definitely colored. So I mean, there yeah. could be a lot there that you know maybe we're giving too much of a pass. But <laughs> yeah. uh, again, that those could also be circumstances. Like if you're constantly oppressed and put put upon, the only way you have is to fight back right right right, um, right right because we never see him as overtly villainous as we see uh some versions of the hunchback uh you know helper or you know yeah. assistant um and but when we do it's it's extremely quick and extremely violent explosive mm-hmm. right 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 and there's always this idea, like again, this goes back to Quasimodo, is this idea that that somehow the hunchback, uh, a guy, some this guy with the hunchback, also has this sort of like almost 
slightly superhuman agility and power too. Like there's there's some it's like the trade off, right? It's like Daredevil has like radar hearing in the comic books. It's like it's like right. the hunchback guy has like this this uh, slightly superhuman power. Um, so uh, yeah, they they've arrived at the place at, at Nemon's laboratory. They brought in the monster. Um, Nemon is about to is going to start on his his uh, other techniques that he's going to use to sort of restore the monster. Talbot. Uh, they're a day away from the full moon again, and Talbot has his is out of patience, um, and he's gonna he confronts Nemon, and they have we have this great scene between between Cheney and and and, uh, and Karloff, um, and he's like, I can't go through this again. You don't understand. Like you've got to work on me, and he and Karloff's like, well, or I mean, Kar- Nemon's like, well, you know, with patience and stuff. So Nemon's Nimon's agenda is all he cares about. You know, he's made promises to all these people. To to Daniel, he he's promised Daniel that that he's going to fix him, that he's going to uh, turn him into a Ad- an Adonis. He says he's going to you know cure his 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 ailments. Um, he's promised Talbot that he's going to cure him of his lycanthropy and stuff. But they're all lies. Like he 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 doesn't care about Daniel. He doesn't care about Talbot. He doesn't care about anything. He cares about his revenge. So he he's got again. He's killed Huff Holman, whatever. Um, but he's got these two other guys that he he wants that that helped put him in prison. He's got Strauss and Ullman, and yeah. now they're in Viserio, which is his old town where where he you know ended up being arrested. and And I think Strauss and Ullman, Ullman testified against him in the trial is is what his his grief with them is, and based on their testimony is what what put him away um, for I guess putting a human brain into a dog. I forget which one. One of them was his former assistant. And, but I cannot. Uh, oh, that's off right. The top yeah, of my head, yeah, I that's can't right. Remember if it was Strauss or Ullman. No, it's it's uh, it's Ullman. I think was his assistant. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Strauss is the other guy. So, but uh, so Strauss is in a pub drinking. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I'd say the so that scene we were just talking about. Um, really, really cool shot of Frankenstein's monster being like encapsulated on this on this table, and then a bunch of steam is essentially you know piped yeah. into you know where where he's lying. So this is where Universal really got quote unquote the bang for their buck by having Glenn Strange play the monster who's, you know, a, a stunt man, is that they don't have to yes. they don't have to do what they did with uh Cheney or Karloff or definitely Lugosi, which was have another stunt man to go through the makeup again and do all this stuff. So uh one story that Glenn Strange has said was that it, you know, he, he was essentially sealed in this and, and they gave him a mask to that you see in the film to kind of breathe in quote only the good air. And they gave him a panic button to hold, and and that if you press the oh, button, wow. it would make a red light go off, and you know they'd see and they'd stop everything. Well, the mask. So the gas mask is functional; it's actually giving yeah, him air. Okay. But it's it didn't work, and he he wasn't able to breathe, and so he <laughs> said he's he hit the he kept hitting the panic button, but nobody was watching it. <laughs> and and as uh, Great. as as Glenn Strange described it, he said that that light must have been going off like the Fourth of July, and he says I'm pretty sure I almost died before someone finally saw it, and they they opened it up and oh and gosh. got me out of there because he's tied down. Yeah, exactly. There's a whole like a whole oh geez. Um, so, so my understanding of of we should talk about Glenn Strange because this is his first time he he pops in as the the monster. Um, my understanding is is that because Karloff wasn't going to play the monster anymore, they obviously needed someone else to to do the monster. Um, at least the the legend that I've read or heard is that Glenn Strange was doing something else at Universal, and uh, Jack Pierce told him like I'll pay you ten bucks or I don't know whatever uh, to stay late tonight and let me 
do a makeup on you. I want to test something. And he said, okay, but he didn't tell him what he was going to do. And he covered the mirror and he spent a bunch of time working on him. And then uncovers the mirror, turns him around and, and Glenn Strange looks and he realizes he's made him up as the Frankenstein monster. Cause I guess, uh, Pierce sort of saw, looked at the bone structure of his face and said, you know, what?" like, I don't know if, is that apocryphal or if that's just good PR or if that's actually really what happened? I don't know. I, no, I, I think it is. I, I'm not sure if it maybe happened quite like that, but th- that is, I know that's what Strange has said, um, you know, in, yeah. in the years since. And, you know, was, was you know, Jack Pierce saw him and, and just, you know, said, I, I like, like you said, I, I like the features on, on your face and I think it could be used. And, and, you know, Jack Pierce had a good eye. I mean, the, the, the four, for Glenn Strange's version of the monster having the least, you know, uh, pathos and, and the least soul and the least amount to do mm-hmm. in any of the movies, I mean, he looks fantastic. I mean, it, I mean, oh, uh, yeah. aside from Karloff, this he Glenn Strange's Frankenstein's monster is like the most iconic, you know, looks. And, and my one of my favorite shots of Frankenstein's monster comes from this this film where you, it's Strange is just looking straight ahead and like the light is is below and kind of mm-hmm. off, off to the side and he's got all this and great glint, shadow work. glinting off his eyes yeah, there yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a good i mean i think he really is the second best looking monster i i mean obviously not after karloff but i i do i mean i think more so than cheney and more so than than lugosi like like strange exists as the monster i think in our i think i think how do i say it? in in most people's minds you know i the Frankenstein monster looks more like Glenn Strange maybe than, than Boris Karloff. Cause I think somehow that image, cause again, like uh, Tony, we've talked about Glenn Strange being kind of the waypoint between Boris Karloff and Fred Gwynn in the monsters, you mm-hmm, know, like, mm-hmm. like there's, there's a lot of Karloff in Strange's monster, but there's, you could see it's not that far away from Herman Munster too, like like exactly. he's got this childlike, go- a little bit of goofiness to him, especially obviously in Abner Costello, Frankenstein, where we we play that up a lot. Um, that that he's definitely like a stepping stone towards the 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 monster becoming kind of a pop culture, uh, adorable character as opposed to a frightening character. You know, because I I do I think the monster more now is viewed endearingly as like kind of a like a lovable, slightly dangerous misfit. Than he is a demon or a creature or what, like a lot of the way uh, yeah, Mary mean, Shelley we, described him in, in, you know, in the book. Absolutely. And I think it's because, you know, partially because we've had the monsters and we've had, uh, you know, we tend to see the good in what he's done, which is, you know, definitely not the Frankenstein monster whose heart is hardened so much by his circumstances by the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. Where he's willing to, you know, meet a terrible end in the ice. Right. Um, which, you know, I do find it interesting that later in the movies he's encased in ice and stuff here. In, you know, I wondered if it was a nod towards the book. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Or some of the adaptations that I didn't think about before and go, oh, yeah, that's cool. And thought about Yeah, I, I do think that that through line has led us to go wow you know he's really put upon like it wasn't his fault i also you know speaking of homage the part where uh you know we've also got it becomes even more of a strange it goes beyond love triangle in the fact that daniel becomes frustrated that his yes that what he was promised as a cure 
that he was going to be put in an attractive body is now that goes off the table because Neiman wants to do experiments with this body, the body of a werewolf, etc. And we have uh, eventually we have Daniel whipping the Frankenstein monster um, Mm -hmm. in the same way that that he gets abused in you know other movies, which is I you know. Those little bits are like, whoa, okay, you're mining these elements for people who are astute and watching. Like, oh, yeah. whoa, you know, that's coming back. And for a different, and done in a different, with different intent and different purpose by the characters. But I thought that was really fascinating as well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because in the first film, Fritz hates the monster kind of just out of his own, you know, native demented kind of kind of mind and stuff um sure but but fritz fritz is sort of abused by henry frankenstein Mm -hmm. and so fritz abuses the monster it's like it's like the neck he's bullied by frankenstein so he bullies the monster it's just just kind of step through which we do see in in in, you know reality obviously uh these kind of things kind of have legacies um but this like daniel has a full-on motivation like he he resents the monster because it's the monster who needed to take being taken care of in the back of the wagon which is why he had to be in the back of the wagon which is why larry had his chance to to talk to alonka so he he starts blaming the monster for why everything's going wrong for himself um until the end when he realizes he really comes to terms with the fact that it's Nemon who's been ruining everything exactly. for him this this whole time yeah he realizes that the, the, who the whose real enemy is um I just think, and to finish up the whole Frankenstein monster conversation, like I, I just think the, the only real regretful thing about the monster in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, having to come meet Frankenstein, is the monster stops having any kind of motivation. Like the the monster doesn't yeah. want anything. He's not afraid of anything. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't love anything and stuff like that. He's really just sort of a set piece that is used. That 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 everything kind of works around. Son of Frankenstein is really the last time we see the monster as as an actual character with dimension. And and after this, he he does sort of become this automaton that just wakes up at the end of every movie and causes a bunch of havoc, and then we're done. And and I guess that's really, I mean, Ghost. He's got some stuff like Livia. What do you think? Like, yeah. Like, do, does that have a lot to do with with Bella's uh, voice being taken out of? Uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and after that, they realize that Frankenstein just doesn't, if the monster doesn't talk, and we're fine. I think, yeah, I think it was a combination of a few things. I mean, obviously, I I think even Son of Frankenstein, you know, and we've talked about this when we talked about the movie, is that in a lot of ways, the monster is like, I mean, there's a reason Karloff was third build in in Son of Frankenstein. He's kind of the third, it's it's the Basil Rathbone and Bela Lugosi show, you know, in that one. Yeah, the the story really shifts, yeah, third tier, shifts away from the monster, kind of starting that one. I think Ghost of Frankenstein was okay. I mean, you know, there there's some great scenes with uh, the monster and the little girl there, a little close scene, but you know, yeah, he does a lot of the the same stuff. And then I think that's really his one scene in that. Yeah, I think by the time. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman came around, you know, that they, I think they tried to, to show motivation of the monster's blind. He wants to see so he can, you know, take over the world and blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, you know, the audiences just did not take to the Lugosi accented monster and then they axed mm-hmm. it. But I mean, the film worked. I mean, they, they made a huge amount of money off of it. So, and I think yeah. between that and the fact of a tighter shooting schedule and, you know, they, they couldn't, couldn't convince Karloff to 
to get back into the monster makeup. They're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? It it worked for for this one just fine. Just you know, kind of it's kind of like yeah, the whole keep that going. Just throw the Frankenstein monster at him. You know, it's just you know, get the makeup, yeah. get the look, and then there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in a way, he just sort of becomes Godzilla. I mean, he just becomes this giant rampaging thing that you can't control anymore. Yes, and, you know. Which you, you can see, you know. Um, sorry, Tony. I, w- I was not trying to demean Godzilla. I just realized I said that in your presence, and you are. I know you. You are. No, no. I think that that. I think well, that's, that's apt because the difference between fifty four Godzilla and what we eventually see, you know, what eventually yeah, becomes true. is is a different. Uh, I guess literal beast. It's a different beast. But literally, as yeah. Well. Godzilla, Godzilla um, actually, Godzilla goes on the yeah, opposite journey where he, he gets more personality act. as those films go on, as the Toho True. films go. Yeah, yeah. That's in, that, and that's an interesting point. They also kind of they almost like cross in the personality department, right? Like yeah. he becomes this like in, uh, he's able to emote more in his face, Godzilla. Right. Whereas when he, when he defeats our monsters, Frankenstein excited, gets less, yeah. which is strange. Yeah, but yeah, that's, true. that's an interesting corollary. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, N- Nimon is, is, uh, back to the story guys. Nimon is, is enacting the final part of his revenge. Um, he, uh, with the aid of Daniel, he kidnaps Strauss and Ullman. Uh, they bring, ties them up, puts them in the back of the, their carriage and they're going back to his laboratory. Um, the, uh, I think it's Ullman, uh, says like Ullman, who is his, his former, uh, assistant and who's played by Frank Riker, who we just saw in yeah. Ghost of Frankenstein. Or ghost of I'm sorry, ghost of the mummy's ghost. Mummy's ghost. Yeah, he uh, he doesn't okay. have great luck. He gets killed by this is the second time I think he's killed by Boris Karloff because uh, he Karloff kills him in the Invisible Ray and then then he's 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 literally almost killed by Lon Chaney in the Mummy's Ghost and then uh, that's right. Uh, we see him here and then also uh, Strauss is actor Michael Mark who was Little Maria's father in the original Frankenstein that's right. and also in Son of and Ghost of Frankenstein and the Black Cat. Yeah, yeah, shows up Mummy's hand and stuff. Yeah, yeah, pops up and everything. Um, so. Uh, um, yeah, Omen offers him, officer offers Nimon money, and he's like, "I don't want your money and stuff like that." He's like, "You bargain poorly because what he's offering would wouldn't pay for all the time he spent in jail." And he's like, "And I'm just gonna read the quote." He's like, "I'm gonna give his his, his revenge plan. I'm gonna give you the brain. I'm gonna give. I'm sorry. I'm gonna give that brain of yours a new home in the skull of the Frankenstein monster. As for you, Strauss, I'm gonna give you the brain of the Wolfman, so that all your waking hours will be spent in untold agony, waiting for the full moon to rise." Um. So, so this is uh, Nimon's plan. He's he's going to kill them, which they do. By the way, the next time you see Strauss and Ullman, it's just their brains. <laughs> Everything else, yeah. So, so yeah, for sure. Um, uh, and then, but then he's talking to Daniel right almost after this, where they're starting to like work on the experiments. And Daniel's like, "Well, can you give me Talbot's body? Because Talbot's Talbot's big and strong. Alonka likes him. Just put my brain in Talbot's body." And it'll be great. And he's like, no, I'm going to put the monster's brain in Talbot's body because, you know, that'll be really like, so, so this is, this, this prompted my diagram that I, I created and sent to everybody who's going to be on this episode because it's incredibly confusing. So on my diagram and I'll post it on, on, on the, the Instagram and Facebook pages. Um, so there's four brains. Okay. There's Frankenstein monster's brain, Lawrence Talbot's brain, Strauss's brain and Ullman's brain. And then there's the Frankenstein monster's body, the Wolfman's body, Strauss's body, Almond's body. So <laughs> it, it, it works best if you go from the bottom up. So Almond's brain is going to go into the body of the Frankenstein monster. Strauss's brain is going to go into the body of the Wolfman. Lawrence Talbot's brain 
is going to go into Strauss's body and, and thereby turn Strauss into a werewolf, I think. Frankenstein monster's brain... Now, this is what's confusing is because Strauss's brain is supposed to go into the body of the wolfman, but he also says he's going to put the Frankenstein monster's brain into Talbot's body. And I don't know if that means that in putting I, Strauss's... It gets... It, I'm just it saying, gets guys, weird, it get, but also... I did a diagram and it still is confusing. No, there's the idea. I don't know if it's just the way it was phrased or what, but I took it as there's an idea when Daniel is talking to him where he he's basically like, I have one body that can just be a vessel. I have an immortal werewolf body that can just be a vessel for whatever the hell I want to do to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a good, that's, that's a really good, good call out. Cause I, I think this right. is where Nemon's, I mean, obviously he knows about vampire lore and, and the Frankenstein monster. I don't think he's too, too adept on the whole uh, werewolf uh, curse because it, to give, he's basically wants to take Larry Talbot's brain and put it in the body of Strauss, which all that does is just give Talbot a new body. Um, but I don't think he ever says right. what he's going to do with, Strauss's brain. I think the only time yes, that yes, Str- yeah. Strauss's brain does not have a clear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there. But he's going to play musical brains regardless. Yes, <laughs> but but I get, get I get the idea that again the the frustration Daniel wanted Talbot's body, and yes. he basically you know, Nuan slags him off. And says no, why would I do that? I, I have this this body that I can just I can do whatever, more or less. I'm paraphrasing, but. Right. That's, Why would that's I the help impression you? I got yeah. was What's in it I for can, me? Yeah. I have a vessel that I can just do as much experiments on as I want. This is great for me. Yeah. Well, Suck well it, I mean, Daniel, yeah, the, right. The, the the interesting question that it brings up for me is what part of Talbot carries the lycanthropy? If you take Talbot's brain and put it in another body, does the brain carry the lycanthropy and that body now turns into a werewolf? Or no, that, is that, it just in the body, right? I mean, that's what's Nobody else I mean, thinks... There, there's no yeah. answer to it. It's just curious. Well, it, the the supposition that everybody seems to think in the movie is that, you know, because he says, like, hey, I'm going to put you in this werewolf body. And you're going to be, it's going to be agonizing for you. So the idea right. is that the the infection, it's curse, but yes. it's treated as more of an infection, uh, stays right. with the Talbot body. Yes. I think idea. that's what now we since was. we never really see how this all plays out. We don't know if that would have that would have been an interesting you know play on that. But uh, we really um, and they almost lead us to a thing where anything could happen and we could continue with as many. Yeah, you know, hey, Wolfman yeah. can be multiple brains too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right? Yeah, but we don't yeah. get that far. You know, I think for better or you know, it's probably for the better. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, the idea seems to be that, and th- because this is what he also promises Talbot, I'm going to put your brain in another body. You can live a yeah. I life. think that's his that's his goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that, that's the idea behind it. Yeah, it's also further confusing because the brain in the Frankenstein monster is actually Igor's brain at this point. So he's actually putting Igor's brain <laughs> in there. So, but, but like, let's let's and, just and drop you know, it because now getting it's getting put into really a dog. Weird. So what are we even doing? <laughs> We'll say right. in in House of Dracula, it, you know, all this kind of becomes a little bit of, of, of goes out the window because Doctor Edelman operates on 
Talbot's brain and cures yes. him. It just doesn't yes. doesn't eventually doesn't last, obviously, but <laughs> Right, 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 right. Um right. Uh but what we're left is that is that uh Ullman and Strauss have been murdered by by uh Daniel and or Neman. Um and they've got their brains uh, uh kind of cooking in in some jars. Um Avlanka is looking for for Lawrence in her very young, you know, kind of uh, enamored kind of way. And she runs into Daniel and Daniel says, like, you used to be happy to see me. And she's like, oh, I think you're just jealous a little bit of, of, of you know, Lawrence and, and whatnot. Um, so Daniel, Daniel takes the tactic that he's going to, he tells her about Larry's condition. He says he's a werewolf and, and he, he draws, we don't, we don't see him draw the star, which I think is an interesting edit i think i think they did that on purpose they didn't want to show a pentagram on camera and during this era or whatever i don't know um but um he she and and because alonka is romani she instantly knows which is what i love about the the idea of her character being romani is that that Dino doesn't have to explain to her what a werewolf is she knows exactly what a werewolf is because that's her part of her cultural you know mythology um yeah she she knows she knows the rhyme she knows that even a man who who's pure in heart and everything which they changed just a little bit um and they add this bit to it that he can not only can a werewolf and this is like an interesting evolution of the mythology is not only can a werewolf only be killed by a silver bullet but he can only be killed by a silver bullet fired by someone who who loves him enough to set him free from the curse, which is a nice like. Uh, plus, like I said, it's a little bit of evolution. It's a refinement of that myth. Plus, what a terrible version of that curse! It's not enough that you can't kill yourself. Yes, it's not enough that you have to get a silver bullet, but also you have to put somebody who loves you. <laughs> yeah, we can extrapolate yeah. that maybe you love them as well. Right. Uh, it it sets it up the as this process tragic of thing. killing you. They have to kill you. And yeah. boy, uh, you know, there's not enough, quite enough of the gravity of that in this movie, yeah, I yeah. think. But that that's quite the curse, right? Obviously, I mean, clubbing someone with a silver cane, even if you love them, doesn't work because we've seen that happen with John right. Talbot and we seem to not work. So it, so, so also that it doesn't rhyme as well, I think. So you have to, you have to do the silver bullet and stuff, which I don't know how they, they killed werewolves before there were guns then at this point, because now, yeah. Um, uh, arrows one would suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you, so. you have um, to, I mean, you have to give props to Kurt Seald Mac because when you think back to werewolf yes. of London, uh, he gets shot. And that's it. That's 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 the end of it. You know, there, there's no special condition of right. ways to kill, kill a werewolf. You just yeah. kill him. Yeah. And Seod uh, Mac is the one that came up with this, you know, silver and and you know the the poem and, and you know all this stuff that is now all, the, all that now considered yeah. you know mm-hmm. lore and werewolf. You know, it's so solidified in all of our brains that this is how you kill a werewolf. Exactly. You know, there's no question. It has to be silver and it has to be you know all these conditions and. And uh, mm-hmm. you talk about a one writer's impact on an entire genre, of, of, <laughs> an entire subculture. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. And 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 how many things have been written and created and stuff based on, uh, you know, just running with his this one thing that this one guy like decided were the rules. But but I think what he did is bring the werewolf because because you know every villain. Let's let's just for a second call them villains, even though I I I don't think the Wolfman's a villain. I think it's kind of a just a tragic character, but. Um, for the purposes of this, uh, yeah. Um, 
the villain's more interesting when it has the villain has specific weaknesses and and the, the vampire obviously the steak the sun garlic everything like that um running water what have you um it makes the the it makes the monster exist within these parameters and it gives the the heroes a clear chance to like okay if i can only do this and this and this and get the situation right i can i can defeat evil right and it's and it's then it's it's so gratifying and what siomak did is give the werewolf these things like if you know he only he can only be a werewolf during the full moon he can only do this and so and you can only kill him with silver and you can only kill him now with a bullet now you can only kill him with you know if you if you love him and stuff so so it sets up that it, those parameters that, that the, the monster exists within that they're comforting for us somehow. We're like, okay, if you can only do that, then you can defeat the evil. Yeah. And, and also, uh, I, I read an interview this was a few days ago. I read an interview, uh, with David J. Skull and he, he pointed out something that I had not even realized, um, before, but you know, Kurt Schildmack was German and fled Hitler and, you know, the, the mm-hmm. you know, persecution that was, that was going on there. Right. And if you think about how, how much, he and whether it was intentional or not, I I don't know, but how how much Siodmak incorporated kind of that happening in in Germany at that time mm-hmm. into the Wolfman. You know, you're marked for death by a star. You know, and yeah. the wolf oh, yeah. is oh, yeah. the wolf is the villain. You know, and you know Hitler's yes. favorite animal. You know, the wolf slayer and and, mm-hmm. and the kind of the incorporation of the supernatural and all that stuff. I, I just that kind yes. of blew my mind oh, yeah. a little bit because I I didn't even put the two and two together with that. Also, also, I think really importantly, the 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 evil thing that lives inside the seemingly normal person, yes. which I think a lot of people in Germany saw at that time, um, the thing that's just under the surface that that is that is lethal and dangerous and unpredictable, uh, underneath this fair faced, you know, normal person and stuff, um, and I think that's that's the other thing that I don't think we talk about enough when it comes to Seod Mac and the Wolfman and, and this character is the idea of the idea that 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 Larry Talbot is a victim, and and people don't nobody wants to kill Larry Talbot, but if you if you love Larry Talbot enough, then you realize that the only way you can save him is to kill the wolf inside him. But in killing the wolf inside him, you're killing him as well. But but it's this. I don't want to get into like assisted suicide, but 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 there's this there's this mercy thing that that plays into it that. That this film, especially, you know, with some 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 Mac, I wouldn't be surprised if Max, a lot of what Max influence in this was had to do with more, you know, Larry Talbot centric. Um, this idea that like it's the fate, it's the fate thing. It's like this had to be this way. It's the, the only way it makes sense for Larry Talbot to to die is for someone who love loves him to kill him. The the way it happened almost in the in the first film too. Like it's just it's poetic. And it seems inevitable in, in in a in a satisfying way. So, um, having said that, Larry Talbot. Uh, this, the moon, meanwhile, while all this is going on, the moon comes up, and Larry, who's lying in bed, doesn't want to get up, uh, realizes it's happening, gets up, looks in the mirror, and we have a really nice uh, oh, uh, transformation scene uh, done done on him, um, where he turns on the thing, and we have Livio. This score, the the mm-hmm. the. the 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 music that comes up when he's we finally he walks outside and and you know we see the we see the uh, the uh, footprints and everything like that and we see this oh so we don't really see him change yet that's right not in this one he walks outside and then we see the footprints turn into foot uh, paw oh, yeah, prints it's, and it's, we turn around and we see we see him it's a, whatever and the music score is great it is it, it's amazing one thing that Salter did he he started this in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman he he accentuates it a bit here 
and and this is kind of a musical trait, if you will, that that has followed a lot of different you know wolfman or werewolf like movies uh, as the years have gone on mm. is that he does almost like this and i am not a musician i i'm just someone that enjoys the music so i'm gonna mm. i'm gonna butcher the the descriptions here <laughs> but um he he almost like this bending sound of the, of the strings how 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 they you know will yeah. go up in tone and then down and almost like mm. you could hear it it's just like the musical change that sh- that you can feel that's happening in in Larry Talbot yeah. and and this then it, vibrato I think it's yeah. sometimes and, called maybe and then it goes to you know Tony. the Nova, Nova chord where it gets louder and louder and louder and it just this big you know crescendo of of the wolfman theme and it's just it's an amazing cap on yes. that that scene but this is like this is like the Talbot theme like perverted into a different tonality this is really interesting this is really like you know we're we are an hour into the film, and this is the the first. I mean, we, I know we saw the Wolfman kind of frozen in the ice, and he kind of turns back into into Larry Talbot really quick. This is the first time we've seen the werewolf or the Wolfman in action. He's 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 out, he's out in the woods with with the fog and everything. This is this is how we are used to seeing him, and, and he's back, and he's back in the town of. Well, he's in the town of Viseria, which. Okay, well now we're in the, into the logistic thing where he 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 kind of tech, he technically was in Viseria before in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Right. Yes, but but it was kind of that's that's where it switches in this one because it, yeah, in this yeah. in this movie the events of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman took place in Frankenstein right. and then in Frankenstein, Dr. Yeah. Nemon's fifteen year old you know dog brain surgery <laughs> took place in yes. this area. That, that's what that's what happened here. And yet when uh you know so 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 the the Wolfman goes out and he kills he kills a dude and we don't see it. Um, but we cut to the next morning and. The town is sort of there's sort of some stuff going on because Strauss is 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 has been missing since the other night, um, and his wife is worried about him, and and the burgomaster and and people are in the bar in the tavern, whatever, and um, someone comes in and they they found the a body up in up in the hills, and they go up to check it, and when the the mortician guy, coroner guy, checks his thing, he's like, oh, he's had his his thing's been his throat's been uh, ripped out and and they're everyone's instantly like werewolf because i they it's like they know like they they they've been here before they they know there's not a there's not a moment where they're like what's a werewolf what are we talking about they're like no it's a werewolf it's 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 like the mummy's ghost where we're like they're I'm like nope it's the mummy yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like it's like the past the point of, of having to convince anyone although the, the burgermeister is not at all convinced but well yeah the, i will point out the the bartender here uh, i wanted to point out two things yep. um the bartender is played by an actor named olaf heighton who was little Closteen's father in ghost of frankenstein and then uh, another one of my favorite lines of this is when you know the, the concerned townspeople or actually no it's the it's the police inspector the concerned police inspector goes to the burgomaster and says this person hasn't been home and this person hasn't been home either and the burgomaster's response is ah they're sleeping off a drunk somewhere <laughs> they're fine <laughs> yeah. right and 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 then when they find the body and everyone's like it's a werewolf he's like no let's not do that basically this burgomaster he's 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 mayor larry vaughn from jaws <laughs> yeah. he's like we don't want we don't want to get a reputation as one of those werewolf yeah. towns don't don't spread the rumor he's yeah, worried about the reputation Reputation in the town. He's totally Larry Vaughn and his anchor jacket from Jaws. Anyway, well, by this <laughs> time helpful. he's in Jaws too, right? Like we're not going to. Who, who, who's still? Who's still the first uh, time? Not going to do it again. It yeah, was still the in, in Jaws too. I know. It's been a flood. There's been a whole 
everything, right? It's like, like, oh, we it's can't. like they say, this is this is why you vote in your local elections. <laughs> yeah, no more. <laughs> that, guy's, that guy's still mayor. <laughs> no more werewolf business. It can't possibly be that. We, we yeah. busted up a dam and there's not, you know, no, 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 no. Yeah. Can't be. Um, uh, but but he finally relents and he's like, okay, let's split into some groups of, let's do some posses and stuff and we'll like, you know, everyone will split up and we're going to go, you know, search search for werewolves and stuff. And that's going to kind of follow into the plot as, as we get towards the end of the film. Um, we have this moment, uh, the next, it is the next morning, Larry's sitting outside in in the the, the very overgrown lawn of of dr neiman's castle (laughs) daniel Daniel has not been Um, cutting the grass (laughs) yes no exactly yeah he's daniel's not good as a groundskeeper um different purposes uh and larry's sitting there and and alonka goes to to talk to him and this is the first time they've been able to talk since she's learned what he is and and he's up front with her he's like i killed a man last night and i wanted to kill him uh you know because you know of, of what happens to me and you know larry's thing is obviously like he's very caught up in his own tragedy but i'm sure there's a part of him that that realizes that anyone who gets close to him is is in danger because of of what he is and yet again like this this young romani woman uh, manages to sort of like make him forget that for just long enough that that he he can kind of you know fall for her too and i i think i'm just gonna finish my uh, i I think she's a great character. It's like it's like she's so young and innocent, and yet she's seen enough in her young life that she can like understand this this guy, the tragedy of this this older man, obviously, um, and 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 really understand his his grief and his 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 regret and and everything. And and it gets it makes it really uh, it gets her very logically to the point where she starts melting down her necklace and making bullets and. And preparing well, herself for, for for what she's going to do. Also, once she's passed, because she tells you know she tells Daniel like, "Hey, you're just saying this because you're jealous," and she's just lashing out because she doesn't want to accept that this is true. Right, right. At, at first, yeah, you're right. She, at first, she can't her, make it. Yeah. Uh, to her knowledge of the mythology of things, and perhaps she's been told uh, since she's young what what it's like to be a werewolf, what the what this curse means. Mm-hmm. And maybe even per- perhaps we could uh, extrapolate that if you're told young enough, you might even come to view it, uh, you know, romance that myth that must be so tragic for him, right? Yes. Like if if you go down that, and we don't kind of get that in this movie, but we know the power of myth. We know how people can gravitate right. towards that. And, and I think... <laughs> bad relationships there's a shared legacy there's a shared legacy that they now have once she realizes that yeah yeah that's true which that's again she would never have with daniel um and and yeah. talbot's if she's heard about it through other uh camps right which is entirely possible mm-hmm. she might also understand this connection to oh because because he's tied back to that through these movies um, yeah which is you know kind of cool world building that I don't think unless you really are kind of hanging out like we are and kind of talking about it that I I didn't reflect on that in the moment but it makes a lot of sense um and yeah you know something you might pick up on if you if you were going to build a backstory for your you know you're an actress 
and and you know or you know working uh-huh. scenes together you might even you know want to play into that yeah so. it again it just seems it seems fate faded that that it's her right. and not and you know in the next in in son of dracula it's isn't it it's one of the nurses that sort of falls for larry mm-hmm. a little bit in 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 it's one of uh dr edelman's or whatever's uh 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 whatever and and that's fine but it just doesn't have the poignancy of, of this. It just, I just, I just think this really clicks, and 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 the way it follows through the end, I, you know, uh, well, we'll get to, but but for right now, we've got guys in lab coats and the Frankenstein monster strapped to a table. Um, this is the 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 you know, the one of my favorite eight and a half minutes or nine minutes of of all Universal movies is, is starts right here. <laughs> it's, okay, really? Oh, cool, cool. It is, uh, what, let go, if, uh, elaborate. Well, I mean, this <laughs> this is what sets up the end. I mean, we have, you know, the, the moment yeah. of Alonka and Larry, and then this is the culmination of the last hour and 10 minutes of, you know, uh, Dr. Yeah. Neiman's Indiana Jones-like mad scientist adventure. You know, right. he, he's, right. he, this is where he's going to do it all. He, he's got the brains out of, Strauss and Ullman, he's he's gonna bring the monster. He's nursed the monster slowly, you know, with like steam and the warm compresses and and the little work that he's done, while <laughs> ignoring everything else that's going on in you know in <laughs> in his house. Yeah, um, yeah. he's gi- giving him his spa treatments. Yes, and so you know now he's gonna really bring him up to life, and then he's gonna take the brain out of Talbot, and you know essentially he's gonna have a kind of brain surgery mar- marathon and and you know, yeah. complete it all. But obviously that, that doesn't happen, but this is a, yeah, it's, it's, it's the music here is, is nonstop. It's, it's like five different cues. And I'll talk more about that once, once we get through the whole end, but you, you, you see Glenn Strange brought back to life. You see fantastic transformation from, even though it has a little well-known blooper in it from from the Wolfman and and just the very quick culmination of all these storylines of the second half of the movie, as well as Neiman's yeah. and Daniel's story as well. Yeah, because there, there's there's like three or four stories evolving and coming towards their their finale simultaneously here, like all all parallel storytelling, which again is like you know not I don't want to say advanced, but it's whatever. Um, when the I will say when the monsters on the table, it's not. Is it Glenn Strange or is it? It looks like someone else or a dummy. So when when it's uh, when you see like the little lightning bolts that's that's going around him, it's the yeah. it's the same dummy that was inside the ice. Everything else, uh, so that those are the only two shots in this film that it's not Glenn Strange. Everything else was even the the stuff later where he throws the stuntman through the through the glass yeah, and he goes strange, into the quicksand right? yeah. and all that stuff. That's all Glenn Strange. They they have a stuntman. What, what did you say about what did you say about the dummy? Or, or on the table. Uh, Is so a, another, yeah. So you see, so this scene, you know, when when Neiman turns on all the, the machines and all that stuff, yeah. And you can, there's a shot that kind of zooms in on the monster, and you see like these little bolts of lightning that are like that you can actually physically see coming out and going inside his body. That's where that's where it's the dummy. Um, so they, they yeah. obviously electrified the dummy <laughs> somehow, right? Because uh, so, he looks kind of deflated, which I don't think even Glenn Strange was like, no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he almost dies like three times Not the in kind this of movie, stunts so, I do. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like kind of deflated and squished a bit. I, you know, it's just it's not it doesn't have his his like architecture that that he he obviously was. And then, but then once he mo- starts moving, it's definitely yeah, it's obviously obviously strange. And, and he opens his eyes and everything again. Again, it's this amazing. 
I don't want to call it an in joke, but it is just this amazing thing where you're seeing you're seeing Boris Karloff, uh, and then the, the the Frankenstein monster in the same shot, and it's like my only parallel I can come up with was there was a great episode of the Incredible Hulk TV show back in the seventies eighties where uh, David Banner helps a, a guy a, a, a bodybuilder on Muscle Beach in Venice, and they had. Lou Ferrigno actually, in, instead of playing the Incredible Hulk, who he normally played the Incredible Hulk, the show, he, they had him play uh, that character, and they gave him dialogue and everything like that, and they got to do a, cool scenes with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, and then the end, obviously, when the Incredible Hulk shows up, they did a split screen, so Lou Ferrigno is facing off against the Incredible Hulk. So any, that's just my uh, anyway. Um, it's one of my favorite TV shows ever. Um, <laughs> so, um, as we're as we're getting towards the end here. Um, uh, Great. I mean, obviously, we're back into like the 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 sparks and the the lightning bolts and the Tesla coils bubbling and everything and all the all the stuff that we love for for seeing the monster being brought to life. Um, uh, my my moment I like is the, you know once once the monster's awake, Nemon goes up to him and looks at him, and the monster looks at him. And he seems kind of like happy to you know be alive again, and then. Daniel comes up and the monster gives him this look and it's like, I, like, cause the monster was sort of a little bit awake when Daniel was lashing him with the belt. Like, he's like, hang on. I don't, I remember you, buddy. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if Daniel thought that through <laughs> when he was doing that. I he, think he was he just didn't think so ahead to like, what if he wakes up one time? He's going to be really pissed at me. Yeah. I think he was more just couldn't control his rage. I yeah, of course. Yeah. His, yeah. Yeah. But, He'd lashed but a very dangerous yeah. miscalculation for sure. Yeah, but it's like if if you get mad and you kick a chair and then the chair comes to life, it's like, hey, dude, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about this. Um, uh, Alonka has has made a bullet out of her necklace, out of the her silver necklace that she wears, uh, and put it in this very cool antique little gun, and she's come to visit Larry, um, uh, with the intention of you know what she's gonna do. Larry won't see her, and he kind of um. This is the part where he he he's turning and he goes to the mirror and and we have an actual like a transformation like the lap dissolves. So I have um, to I have to yeah I have to call out the the music here and, and this is one of the more more contemporary sounding you know cues. Mm-hmm. So so this whole like I, I mentioned my this is my favorite eight minutes of the movie. It, it's also it's it from the time that you know the the monster is actually brought to life and you hear you hear the music kind of start off with a bang and then goes down that there's nonstop music. It's, it's four different cues that are just buttered up and played right, right behind each other. And, um, the one here where, where Larry, it starts out, he's sitting on the bed and you see the, the moonlight kind of creeping up the, the wall. And he, he looks up and looks outside and sees it and, and just goes to the mirror. Um, cues called the moon is full and it, it, it starts out kind of slow and it goes to the Wolfman theme and then it has this like real beautiful yet very very ominous part to where you know the it plays the theme real loud with horns like it usually does but then it goes down and, and you just get this very sad like like string that's that's extended and then this really low nova chord or keyboard sound uh, uh, that when you see the full moon and it's kind of it's like the musical yeah. uh version of saying you know that something bad and tragic is about to happen which is, yeah, which is yeah. exactly what happened it's, it's one of my favorite you know musical parts ever i love it right right because it, it's too you know the whole time like she's the longest staying there outside his door with a gun pointed and she's kind of ready to to shoot him and she can't because you know she does love him and she it's this moment where it's like, does she love him enough to do what she has to do? And she kind of can. And then he fully turns and he, 
he busts out and and which he just the door's kind of open and he just goes right through the part that's closed and just destroys it which i love and it's, it's just that the wolf band's and like that's actually unstoppable. Uh, it's actually lon chaney doing that too not surprising <laughs> i i in in a contest between lon chaney and a door i would take lon chaney uh <laughs> any day i'm sure it's a breakaway door but i'm still saying like i think he could do it um the Wolfman runs out. Alonka now chases him, uh, and he grabs her and bites her throat, and they fight. And then we hear a gunshot. Um, and the next thing we see is is the Wolfman come stumbling out, having been shot in, in the chest, belly, someplace, and he's holding it and going through the the death throes of of what's happening because it's like what she's. The way she shot him isn't isn't necessarily would be a mortal wound for a normal man if it was a regular bullet, but because of the silver, I think it's whatever. And here's something, and again, like I I I've had the Blu-ray edition of Frankenstein for a while now, and I don't think I've I I had watched House of Frankenstein this film until recently watching this thing. I don't think I'd rewatch it from the time I had it on DVD. Is it me or is he crying? There's a tear going down his eye, right? Yes, as he's as he's doing. There's a definitely wetness running down the wolfman's face as he's dying, and and that's just that's just incredible that that they went for that. I just think it's inc- like for a minute you see the you see Larry Talbot inside the furry face of the of the the world as he as he dies. Um, and you know if, the the go ahead. so this this scene um, the so the way they the way they shot this movie was was a bit backwards. They, they did all of the. The Wolfman and and monster Frankenstein monster scenes up front, and they ended up doing all mm. the Dracula stuff last because they needed to get all of Carlos stuff done as quickly as possible. They were they were up against his right. his hard stop deadline. Anyways, oh, oh, this time, uh, yeah. Thing, yeah. Um, so one of the earlier scenes shot in the movie. I mean, it, ultimately, the Wolfman doesn't appear as the Wolfman that much in this movie, but um, yeah. they this was the first one of the first uh, Wolfman scenes shot. And the director and Lon Chaney took great care to make sure that Elena Vertigo did not see him, and she did not know what he looked like. She hadn't seen, you know, the movie. She she hadn't she she oh, wow. she did not know. And so when it came time to to shoot the the scene, they she she told this in the she's actually on the the biography of Lon Chaney Jr. Where she talks about the stories, but they had a professional screamer on the set, so they said, hey. You know, I think they were cognizant of the fact that she has no idea what he's going to look like. She's 19 years old, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's possible she could freeze up or, or whatever. They said, hey, don't worry about it. If you can't scream, you know, we've got a professional screamer who could take care of it, so don't worry about it. So um, what you see on the uh, in the film where she runs out, and then he lunges at her and just grabs her, and she lets out this blood-curdling scream was 100% right. real because it scared the – That's just her. You just scared the bejesus out of her. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's That's really, you know, Lon Chaney trying to successfully scare a, a blood-curdling <laughs> scream out of this this poor girl. <laughs> um, Yeah, not surprising. I mean, I mean, you can imagine, like, yeah, we've watched him on, in black and white, and we know what the Wolfman looks like. But I'm trying to imagine, like, what – I think it'd be an interesting experience to like make up somebody in a perfectly replicated version of 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 the Wolfman who is roughly the same size as Cheney was, and um, and just see how scary that is because it seems like that'd be really like obviously any kind of any monster or whatever like that I get it but like uh, yeah no it, there's just enough the one thing I you know I always go back to, like there's enough humanity in the Wolfman's face 
that you can read the in, the human intent in it. And that's actually mm-hmm. part of what makes it very unsettling to see is you see the man inside the beast. And especially here at the end, oh my gosh. Um, and, and so, of course, Alonka is mortally wounded too and she she falls into this thing. And and my, my final thing, I'll just kind of talk about this is like, like obviously the Wolfman comes back in Son of Dracula and he comes back again to meet Abbott and Costello. But if, had this been the final appearance of, of Larry Talbot and the Wolfman in the universal canon. I think this would have been, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad he goes on. I'm glad he kind of becomes like Dracula's nemesis in the next movie or two, but I, I love that aspect of his character arc, but this, this would have been a very good ending for the Wolfman. Right Absolutely. Here. This is so poetic, right? I mean, and yes, there, and with that tear that you pointed out that, you know, Hey, we're lucky enough to see these in you know, Blu-ray and, um, I would yeah. love. I would love to get. I know that there's been some great 4K releases. I would love to just have everything in all of these boxes in 4K. I know that's quite the undertaking. So, um, but that yeah. would that would be what I would love to have. Yeah, um, I, but I, I think just this thing you never saw. Yeah, there's a poignancy to it on you know, multiple levels. He's saddened by you know the fact that someone who he just kind of started to care for definitely cared for him. Is mm-hmm. dead and at his hands, and a relief yes. that he's no longer. He spent all this time trying to not kill, trying to to release himself right. from this mortal coil, and the fact that that's actually going to happen is part of that tear. You know, just the realization so. of all of that coming back. I mean, that's a that's pretty heady stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. In and one it, tiny part of a monster mash movie. <laughs> You know? Yes, exactly. But that's the th- again. There's there's funny parts to this movie, and goofy parts, and, and serious parts, and spooky parts, and stuff. And then, like you said, there's very heartfelt moments too. And 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 the idea that the Wolfman die finally dies. It, it, this mix of of it's it's blessed, but it's tragic. And you know, I mean, it's it, again, it seems inevitable. Um, uh, because the first time he's almost killed, it's by someone he loves. So, so there's this what well, just a great full circle thing. That I just, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely, it's a, it would have been a lovely coda to the character. But again, I, I will, I will go to my grave saying that I think jumping off a balcony and grabbing Bat Dracula in your hands and plummeting <laughs> off a cliff into the water, not the worst way to go either. I honestly think that's a pretty damn good death too. So I'll take that too. I just think you know we we just get to have both of them in, in this way. Um. So Daniel comes out and finds Alonka dead next to him and comes and picks her up and carries her inside. And this is sort of the last evolution of Daniel's emotional journey too, is, you know, he comes back in and, and, you know, confronts Niman and, and he says like, you know, they put her down on the table and, and, you know, she's, he, he realizes she's dead and, and he just says, the only thing I ever loved, it wouldn't have happened if you kept faith with me. Um, he, he finally kind of sees Nemon for what Nemon is, a liar, a manipulator, you know, a a, a, a villain. Um and this is the moment where where uh again it's it's like it's like him slap him beating the monster and then the monster waking up. It's like Nemon has slapped Daniel down this whole time and this is the moment where Daniel stands up and and says you're you know no more and and I won't serve you anymore. And also, like you know, now now you've done this to me. Like like we're gonna have this discussion. It's it's a it's a it's a good moment for him. Again, it's it's 
he, you know, he starts strangling him like like that. Like there's a real character journey that Daniel's Daniel goes on in in this film. It's really neat, and you're happy to see it. you're happy to see him turn on on Nimon and 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 attack him. You're like, well, yeah, he he had that coming, right? It's all about the satisfaction. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and I always um, wondered a little course, what was what was Nimon thinking because. Um, you know, when, when Daniel opens the door and comes in, so that as far as Neman is concerned, he sent Daniel to go get Talbot and he's, yeah. Neman's there at the table, like literally standing, waiting for Talbot to come so he can take his brain out. And then when he sees, you know, Lanka and he looks and he, he says the wolf man, and, and then he kind of walks yeah. off and he, he's kind of looking down a little bit and it makes you wonder if, if Neman is starting to realize like, uh, crap, <laughs> you know, did, what, yeah. what, what has happened? <laughs> Everything has been going his way, like we said, until tonight. And and you really wonder if it hadn't been the night of a full moon, if the full moon had been like the week after this, would Nimon's plan have totally succeeded? Because he's really close. He's really close to to getting done everything he planned to do. Now, there's always this X factor with the monster that the monster could have just w- done what he does anyway and gone berserk and 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 he attacks Daniel. But you never know. Um, but for the but for it being a, the night of the full moon, who knows? There's- um, there's definitely a large chance that he would have been successful. Um, yeah, the other X like factor it. would be, would Daniel finally snap? Or would that happen afterwards? Like, would he succeed and right. Daniel just get fed up with the totality of losing? It, it's true because he was always going to betray Daniel. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. And also, also, also um, meantime, all the, the, the people searching for the Wolfman... I've seen the lights flashing oh, yeah. on and on in, in, well, they, in his they castle. Went and now to the torches and pitchforks warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now <laughs> yeah, they're torches, guys, and, torches pitchforks, and pitchforks. Like, <laughs> we have and, in every village. Yeah, and and, and speak, so. speaking of speaking of HD, the one guy with a shovel. There's a guy with literally what looks like a snow <laughs> shovel. Like that right. was that's what you that's what you picked up. Hey, t- or or was there just like, a whole bunch of stuff for everyone to pick up? And that guy came last. He was like, oh, there's only a sho- okay. I'll get the shovel. I guess. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> he, when, when, when they kill when things. they kill the the people, he will help bury him. I guess that's his job. He's full on a snow shovel. I'm just saying. It's not even like a spade. It's with a point. It's like a snow <laughs> shovel. Um, oh, I mean, boy. you could bonk uh, somebody over the head with it. You know. I mean, yeah, I guess so. You could whack someone. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I honestly, you could probably get the edge of it against the Wolfman's chin and like keep him away from you. So now, now I'm thinking about that. To actually, on the really next season of Fargo, smartest we'll villager out. in the group. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I have a snow right. shovel. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, obviously, uh, the monster turns on Daniel, and we have this great shot, which is sort of repeated again in Abner calls to me Frankenstein, which is interesting. Um, where he 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 picks him up and he hurls him out. There's like these big plate glass windows on the thing, and he hurls him up and. And what I like is Dan- Daniel doesn't fall out a window to his death. He falls out the window and hits the roof and slides off the roof. God. Yeah. <laughs> so it so, just looks like it's just like this extra level of like it hurt before it he fell. It, it, it I funny. think it did hurt. The the so two things happened. There were there were two different stunt men for J. Carroll Nash. You know, there's one that went through the window and yeah. then there's one that that uh went down the roof. So um I think Glenn Strange accidentally threw the guy at the window a little too hard because he flew past the the padded <laughs> and, and just hit the ground. Um which I mean no like serious injury or anything, but I'm sure that hurt. Um yeah. and then one of the uh one of the stuntmen, actually Boris Karloff's stuntman, had given an interview about this scene and said that, you know, or 
the guy was supposed to roll and because he ended up sliding, he, he got snagged and cut on like the nails and stuff that were sticking up on the roof oh, before he actually like rolled off. And that just sounds so painful. <laughs> oh, that and, can't, that's, ooh, that's really and, bad. And, and the worst part is he still had his keys in his pocket. So when he fell, <laughs> he hit the ground, yeah. right? Um, when he fell on him at the end, yeah. This gag was notorious when, when they did it in Amicostal, I mean, Frankenstein, and, and he threw a Lenore Albert's stunt woman out the lab, lab window. When, when Strange did that, the stunt woman got like a shard of glass in her eyeball or something like that and had to go have it surgically removed and something like that. Like that, that, this gag was just like not a great idea. And they went back and tried it again a few years later and, you know, to, to same result. So obviously, um, uh, um, the, so yeah, the, the mob has, has, you know, gone to the castle and they get there just as the, uh, the monster in this very like kind of tender way is, is picking up Nimon and, and holding him like, like a baby, like a lover kind of like, it's really interesting. Like there's just this, you know, N- Nimon's, uh, either he's, his neck's broken or he's paralyzed or he's just really hurt or something. Cause Nimon no longer can really move very well himself and the monster's kind of supporting him which it, it's it's interesting because it's glenn strange carrying uh boris karloff in in a very similar way the way boris karloff had to carry colin clive which is how boris karloff hurt his back when james will made him do it over and over again climbing up this ladder over and over and over again in 1931 when they did when they did frankenstein so um i wonder you wonder if karloff was like okay glenn lift with your legs because you know <laughs> let me tell you well karloff did uh, glenn strange obviously being a bigger much more powerful man than uh, boris karloff yeah. so you know Kar- karloff did uh coach glenn strange and how to walk and, and kind of how to move as a monster in a way that would be would be frightening uh, for this this film. Uh, Strange has talked about I mean, that. I mean, is, isn't that fortuitous that Glenn Strange shows up and he's you're going to play Frankenstein? You're going to take over this role that was made famous by the guy, and the guy's there to work with you a little bit. Like that's kind of nice. And but I, you can see Carl wanting to kind of maintain a little bit of autonomy over the character and like let's try and make this a little consistent. And here's how because. Again, you know, Glenn Strange is dealing with the same stuff where he's got the, the boots where you can't bend your ankles very much and the heavy thing and the padding and and whatnot. So you can imagine Carl this, No, 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 Glenn. This scene this, where, this you do this. where he picks Karloff, honestly, it looks it, like my – I wince when I watch this scene because I know that Karloff is a year or two away from really being in a wheelchair because of all the back problems uh, he has and the way that he's he's – I mean, I'm sure Strange can't is be good for right. supporting him, you know, as best he could. But like his arms are drooping down, his back is arched backwards, and he's he's oh. just kind of held there for a while. And I'm like, God, that I mean, I don't have back problems, and that would hurt me. I couldn't imagine a 60 yeah. year old Karloff with chronic right. chronic back problems Car- doing that. <laughs> he he can't win whether he's carrying the guy or being carried. Yeah. It's, it's all bad for his back. I'm just saying. This is why mad science is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Bad for your back. Um, uh, I just, I like the, you know, I, I think the one thing with strange is they didn't have to cheat the the size as much as they kind of maybe did with Karloff to some degree when Karloff was around other actors in, in scenes, strange gets to just carry the fact that he's quite a few inches taller than, and of course he is wearing raised boots and stuff just like everyone else. But with that, he just, he is, be, he does become this juggernaut and he's just, he seems Again, what 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 we, I guess my final thing is like like when we trade off in pathos with the monster with the strange incarnation, 
we get in in sheer juggernautness. You know, like like he really is physically a, a force to be reckoned with. You can you can see it. You're like wow. Like he's not just tall and angular. He's like a monolith of a thing that when you see him next to all the townspeople, they're all you're all like I yeah I feel bad for the townspeople. Like you know, um, he does. I think he does a great job. I th- I think Strange always is is good as as the monster in his it's 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 three outings right. It's this yeah. one House of Dracula. Avon Costello, yeah. Um, anyway, um, so the 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 carrying Nemon, uh, the monster flees from the the house, uh, being chased by all these uh, all the the townspeople with their pitch with their uh, torches, pitchforks, and shovels, um, <laughs> and uh, and and retreats further back, further back. They they set the marsh on fire, kind of literally the burgomasters, whatever. Yeah, and um, he he says like, dude, uh, there's a there's a shot that's definitely not. Uh, Karloff, though, there, I I think there was definitely some doubling going on with when he's when he's full on just dragging him across the ground. I think maybe someone was like, you know what, we could probably <laughs> yeah, it was we could probably find someone else to have have him. Karloff's uh, stunt double here was was a gentleman by the name of Kerry Lofton, um, and, oh, cool. and he was a uh, if you look him up, he's 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 a really kind of prolific uh, stunt person, and, and I think did a lot of driving work, kind of stunt driving work later on, okay. but. Um, yeah, this so there there's two scenes or two two shots to to watch out for here. Um if you go back and watch this movie, so the scene where the monster and Dr. Namon go to the to the landing of the stairs and and, and go out and the villagers are kind of throwing the the torches yeah. down. Um it's this is like a blink and, and miss it type scene, but on on the side of the building of the castle where there's all these vines and stuff, you can see it quickly catch fire and and it cuts away fast because it just goes on to the different scene oh, wow. but the, that's that's one part where the fire got out of control the the next one was um you know when the monster stops and the burgomaster says you know dra- uh, drive him back into the marsh and uh they they you know th- throw the torches down and you just see this wall mm-hmm. of flame that is taller than yeah, it goes everything up. you know that that was not planned to be that big and it, it really got it i think it singed uh karloff's double and it's and it's in it made strange yeah. go a lot faster than than was scripted into the quicksand <laughs> yeah i'll bet i mean you know there's there's some scary stuff in the scene but but living in southern california the, this these shots with the fire this big that's scary because that's that can get out of hand that i i definitely it def, definitely seems like that got that went faster and higher than than someone planned on it it is really those are like 30, 40 foot tall walls of flame and stuff. So yeah, exactly. Ooh, um, not good. Uh, which I, I assume they're, they're on the back lot. I think they're right on the edge of, of universals of the, of the lake kind of, which, and the river, which, which later on we would, we'll, we'll see in creature from the black lagoon. Um, uh, but it, I don't know. Um, it's definitely, you know, I, Again, you know, I, I, the, the, the monster is always defeated by these elements, right? Like, like ice, fire, earth. Uh, you know, he's buried in the in the 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 sulfur pit at the end of of Son of Dracula or Son of Frankenstein, rather, and stuff. So, you know, it's it's always it's never a man, really. It's never a human who defeats the monster. The monster is always defeated by these elemental forces that he's trapped in, or fallen under, or buried under, or or whatever, like stone, fire, rock water and in this case quicksand <laughs> which ex- apparently exists in the middle of germany i guess okay you know it happens 
What's, what's like that, that uh, meme that says that, that says I, I grew up yes. being more afraid of quicksand than, than yeah. I, I wasn't prepared for how little quicksand was going to yeah. uh, affect me in my adult life. <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be more of a threat as a child, you know. <laughs> uh, so the 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 fun thing to look out for here is, is that, and again, this this speaks to. I, I know I mentioned at the 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 start of this about how you know the passion was kind of missing from Karloff in this performance. I, I want to clarify yeah. that that I, I am in no way uh, being demeaning or even critical of of Karloff here because it, as much as he did not enjoy himself here, um, I mean the, the physicality stuff that he put himself through and the what he did here yeah. at the very end was 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 just such a I guess a, a show or sign oh. of professionalism because as they sink in the quicksand, you can see their breath. So the, the this scene, oh, yeah. this scene was filmed at like two in the morning, you know, sometime in April, and um, it, it was it was cold, and I, you know, that quicksand is it, just mm-hmm. water with like um, like ground up cork and stuff on top of it. It was not yeah. heated, yeah. <laughs> and nope. so it, when Karloff went underwater, you know, they they filmed it for you know two seconds or so, and then they yelled cut. Uh, they thought something went wrong because Karloff did not come up. Strange came up and Karloff oh. was not coming up at all. And, and the director said that uh, he and the producer were literally about to jump in after him when Karloff finally came up and he was shivering. And Karloff just says, I just wanted to make sure you got the shot before, <laughs> before yeah, I came yeah, up. Yeah, I don't want to do it again, yeah. right? And so I, that's just, that. that's, that's good. That's, uh, he was very professional, even if he did not enjoy or appreciate the material he was working with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the one thing no one has ever said anything against Karloff about is, is his professionalism. Like when he committed to them, he, he went for it. He did it. If he thought it was cheesy, if he thought it was whatever, he just, he committed and stuff. And, and obviously, yeah, big commitment there. Um, all right. And that is the finale as, as, as the monster and Dr. Uh, uh, Nimon uh, sink below the, the uh, quicksand and their heads disappear. That is the end of house of Frankenstein. Uh, this has been a fun thing talking with you guys and stuff. So let's um just like I kind of did the initial re- uh, uh, you know takes and stuff like that. Let's go around and kind of do our wrap up thing. Tony, why don't you you start? Yeah, I mean, I despite the fact that it does kind of end fairly abruptly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of wraps up like I mean, it goes and then that that motion graph goes <laughs> into the stratosphere. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff. It's I really like talking about it because, again, it's one of those things where you even if you view a movie as the lesser of some stream of movies or whatever, um, there's a lot to talk about in craft and uh, intent and, you know, everything. So I really like discussing this. I really think that it's an interesting movie. I think the Monster Mash movies are great to mm-hmm to kind of view and to also see where the discourse was and like, Hey, let's put together, a, you know, Dracula. Like, why wouldn't we put all our monsters together? Right. Right. And that's a cool idea. Uh, it's a, it's a plus minus on this because we do kind of get an anthology. We get a Dracula section and then we get a continuation of uh Frankenstein werewolf. It would have yes. been nice to me to have seen them more intertwined. But that doesn't necessarily, that's kind of wishing like, oh, I, why didn't they do this? And that's kind of not fair. We right. have to evaluate that, the art. Of, we have to evaluate the art on what was created. 
right? Yes. So, um, but it makes it makes it an interesting movie, uh, nonetheless. And there's you know great classic icons in this movie, um, which just that's that's amazing. Yeah, I really I really dig these, and I'm glad I've been able to be part of this series. So thank you so much. Oh, for sure, man. No, I'm glad you were part of this one because we we had you for son of or no yeah no we had you for for house of dracula and then we had you for franks meets wolfman so yeah we we've we've rounded out the hat trick with you on this one so that's yeah, good i just i think you always bring something great to, to to these ones um thanks man uh livio yeah i mean you know for me oh olivia oh, olivia that's right <laughs> don't use my real name um no uh for me it was you know that this is uh I mean, you could you could point out about eighty five things that, that are wrong in the, in this film as it stands, and not even touch the the whole crazy brain you know switcheroo plot. But you know, <laughs> there's there's a there's a also a big reason why this stands so well and this works so well and it's so so popular and it it made just loads of of money and you know. You talk about if you put this this film next to say the Body Snatcher, I, I think ninety nine percent of people will say the Body Snatcher is a quote unquote better film, certainly better story, better performance out of Karloff, and, and so on and so forth. You know, I think House of Frankenstein ended up making somewhere north of two million dollars at the box office, mm. and and the Body Snatcher made less than a million. <laughs> um, yeah, and so you know, there's. The, Again, there's there's reasons for that, and and I think it's kind of like when I was we were talking about the mummy films. You know, I, I think so many of these '40s films that were s- definitely quickly produced and, and certainly have their flaws. There's still so much there that's that's positive, and and there's these little touches that, whether it be from the acting or the writing or the music, that that really really made it special and makes it what has made it you know be in all of our hearts and minds. All these years later, and and one thing I I did I save this for the end. Um, you know, we talk about how uh, things like the some of the storytelling and, and story devices can be influenced. You know, from King Kong to Jurassic Park, or The Mummy's Hand to Indiana Jones, or or how some of the portrayals from actors right. can be emulated and stuff throughout the years. I want to point out some of the musical devices here. Um, so Hans Salter. One thing that he he really did a lot of, if you listen to a lot of his horror scores, where he had kind of these shrieking woodwinds, or like flutes, you know, would would really go up and you know, in, in during scenes of a monster attacking somebody. He did it in Creature from the Black Lagoon. He did it in The Wolfman. He, you know, it, it did it at the very end of this movie. Um, go listen to John Williams' scores to Star Wars. Especially the Empire Strikes Back when when the Millennium Falcon is outrunning a big star destroyer and going into the asteroid field, and what do you hear? You hear a bunch of shrieking woodwinds that goes up yeah. as as you know as these Tie Fighters are chasing Han Solo, and and so do, 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 do. I can hear it as you're saying, yeah, it. yeah, exactly. And and so that it's important that not only we talked about Kurt Seeldmack and you know his his influence on the you know werewolf lore today right. i mean it, so much in these movies from and i just i i point out the music but just so much has just become such a a part of how movies are made today and i think it's important yes. to call it out and 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 recognize that and I've, i'm thrilled to be able to talk about this one cool definitely um 
I mean, I just want to, I'll just say, you know, I think someone said, you know, uh, films aren't photographs, films are paintings. And, you know, there are, as someone who does this for a living, there, a film has, every film, the simplest film you've ever seen still has a half million moving parts in it from the scheduling to the budgeting to locations, actors, makeup, direction, photography, editing, music, you know, sound design, everything. Um, and and I think we're always, uh, something in our culture makes us want to look for perfection across the board in, in everything. And I I think that's rare, <laughs> very rare. Um, it's very rare in my films, I'll tell you that. Um, uh, but but I think one thing that uh, Tony and Livio and you and and I I think we all kept coming back to is that this this film has it, is it a perfect film? No. It it has does it have like kind of near misses here and there? Okay, but what it does have is some peaks that that almost rival any of the the big moments in almost any other Universal canon. It has. Again, that that scene where Carradine comes up the hill and the sun comes out, that ending scene with with uh, Cheney and 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 uh, and and the Romani girl, um, it has really good moments, like really strong moments. And and then overall, when you take that as a whole, it it you know for, it was a big production for Universal. It wasn't one of these plucky outsider films that that I've somehow decided I I love like Man Made Monster or House of Horrors or what have you or Broodman or whatever. Um, this was universal, like throwing everything they had at, at a thing. And I think there's also this, uh, idea in the, in the film world to sort of, uh, snicker at spectacle. And this film was really all about spectacle. This film was about presenting an audience with like, here's all the hits all together. This is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge battle Royal. We're, we're throwing the kitchen sink at this whole thing. And, and we're going to see what happens here. Um, Absolutely. Cause this is really, you know, at, at their end of the, they know the monster thing is kind of weaning off and stuff. And like, we're just going to like try and go out with some bangs here. And, and for all that, I think, I, I think this film, how do I say this? I think this film did every single thing that Universal wanted it to do. It, it, it delivered all the things they wanted to. And I think, the filmmakers and the actors, the writers, everyone, I think we're actually able to sneak in a few extra things that that I'm not sure, you know, necessarily were, were to, to spellbound an audience, but were for the sake of the character and for the sake of the arcs of the the, the, the stories we're telling with these characters. And, and again, it's this thing with the Universal where, with the exception of kind of Dracula to some degree, all these monsters have a person inside them that we can understand their fears, hopes, worries, anger, everything. Daniel, the Wolfman, Talbot, monster. Um, and and I think within that, this film treats all those characters with with a lot of dignity um and 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 does good service to them. And that's the the kind of thing that makes me, you know, that that's what makes me want to watch it again and again. So um everybody, that was uh 1944's House of Frankenstein. I want to thank Livio and Tony. I want to thank you guys. Thanks for, for hanging out with, with us for this very long episode and talking. You can hear my, my voice is starting to go, so I think it's probably time to sign off. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this. Uh, I want to thank you for listening to 
all of our episodes uh, this year in 2022. This is our big year-end closing out. I hope everyone is having a great December, has a great holiday, and uh, a safe holiday, and we can't wait to come back in 2023 with a lot of new stuff. Uh, thanks very much. This is Jim Towns. I'm going to say good night. Thanks, everybody. Good night, everybody. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.